come uh, quite a distance to visit with us. Uh, pastor Jeff Broadnax has pastored our Columbus, Ohio church for several years, and uh, he has also been very much involved with the Pathways Camp and really the whole youth program for, for the denomination as a whole. Uh, he's transitioning now. He's uh, helping or working with Randy Bloom. We all remember Randy, our regional pastor. Uh, Jeff is now the alternate regional pastor. There's quite a, an area that they are covering and churches that they're working with all over the northeastern United States. So uh, he made his way here to us. We look forward to hearing from him. So let's welcome Pastor Jeff Broadnax. I don't know. I'm sorry. Can I begin by saying um, I have found from the minute I walked in the door, I have found this to be one of the best worship experiences I've had in a long time. Well, first off, you know, when, when you this one right here, that one right there, came over with a hug for me that was just, I've, she's been writing about it too, but, but came over for a hug for me that was just awesome. I appreciated that. But then people greeting me, I, listen, I got sugar-free candy out of the deal. I got hugs. But I'm going to tell you the, the, the thing that, that hit me most. Listening to you sing during worship time. I'm amazed at how many churches I walk into, or I go into as a, even as a pastor, even some of my own, where sometimes people don't sing. I'm sitting here in the front row and I'm just listening. And I want to say thank you to Steve. I don't know where he went, where he ran off to. But I want to say thank you to Steve for really a beautiful worship service. But all of you for allowing me to participate with you. And on top of that, man, when you welcome people, when you, when you one another each other, man, y'all some one another folks, I tell you. I got one another on a bunch of fronts. It was just, to me, this is a, that's what the church is supposed to be. As a first time guest into your, into your home, that's what I'm supposed to feel like. I, if I left right now, if all I experienced was what I had right now, I have had a spiritual meal. If this is all I can walk away with today. And, I, and I, I'm not just saying that, I, I really mean that. If, if I left this place right now and went back home, I would be able to tell my family and tell anybody that I experienced that this congregation made me feel as a guest like I matter to God, like I matter to them, and that this is a place where people want to sing about God and talk about God. I'm in. You won me. No, I, I mean it. I mean it, John. I, I just, anyway, so... Pardon me for bragging, but I'm going to brag on you after this, too. Um, I, I hope I get to stick around and hear you guys have food later. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, I'm a kid who grew up in this church, so I remember food, right? And I know people would do well with food in our church. Well, the sign says John 3.16. You've seen those, right? Seen them for years. You see them at Indians games. See him at Browns games. Now, I'm a Bengal fan, just so that you guys know. I'm a Red fan and a Bengal fan. But I will speak Browns and Indians while I'm up here. 
Y'all have reasonable colors, you know, reasonable. But you, but you spend your time, you sometimes see them at the games, you'll see the, the signs, you'll see the, the guy holding the John 3.16 sign. And I always wonder, why? What's that doing for people? But it's also, as, as most of you know, is this me doing this? I don't know. Um, there, there's, there's also that situation where you know it's probably one of the most memorized verses in the Bible. Matter of fact, let me prove it. Everybody repeat that to me. Just join me in it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Yeah. Now, who said eternal? Who said everlasting? <laughs> right? So, so it's, it's one of the most memorized verses in the Bible. And it is something that people should know. But let's feed it back for a minute. Let's take a minute and actually ask, I want to ask you the question, do you know the context of that verse? What was actually happening when Jesus said, for God so loved the world? Because you don't start a sentence with for God. That's got to be a part of something. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And it continues. That's not the, even the end of the, of the statement. So what we catch is we catch John 3.16 is in the middle of something that fits very well with what Greg was sharing in the speaking of life. And it's for anyone who feels like they are not seen, heard, or loved by God. It is something that he will make available to them. It is something that he will want them to grasp. And it actually happens in the context of somebody who was one of the ones who actually came to Jesus looking for answers. And in the course of his discussion with Jesus, Jesus got to this point where he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world to him would be saved. What I would love for you to do is join me in prayer because I want to take a journey with you. I want to take a journey with you back into John chapter 3 with in mind everything the Holy Spirit has already said to you. The Holy Spirit has already told you about the fact that Jesus reframed some thinking of their day that he only went after the really special ones. That wasn't the image that Jesus was making. The Holy Spirit has already shown you that when you have a certain understanding of who he is, you will not be shaken. You will not be moved. The Holy Spirit has already said to you that because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Amen. Let it be so. Holy Spirit's already said that. Holy Spirit has already said you have a good, good father. And that's who he is. Even though people don't see God through those eyes all the time, you and I have a good, good father. The Spirit's already said that. The message is already done. All I'm going to do now is try to add to what the Holy Spirit has already shared with you. You've already talked about praying for people who you love and who are in need. All I get a chance to do now is add to it. But we're going to dive deeper into the word and let Jesus add to the adding. So let's pray, if you don't mind. Father, as we come this morning, our desire is to have you speak to us. 
to let us hear from you. I don't know, Father, whether what you had for us was from the songs that we sang or the prayers that we were going to offer or even the things that are yet to be said here or the time that we'll spend in, in, in enjoying fellowship later on. I do know this. You are God and you are in this spirit-filled environment because you've already been here. As Pastor John said, you've already made your presence felt. This is a powerful thing. And our desire is to hear from you, to see you, to understand you deeper, to understand something about your word. This congregation called themselves the Word of God Fellowship. They want to live their lives knowing that your word comes alive in them. Thank you for that. So I pray that you will bless me not to get in your way. In every one of us, I pray that we will hear from you and you, that you will make it personal. And anything that I say, Lord, that doesn't come from you, I pray that they'll forget it before they get up out of their seats. If it's from you, I pray that they will not be able to jackhammer it out because it goes so deep and you won't let it move. I pray this and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the, the sign said, maybe I should just take this off and I'll just use this. Is that all right? Because I'm not sure whether I'm creating all this havoc. Because I don't think you all want to hear popping all the day, all the server time, right? This won't hurt your recording, will it? We'll find out. I'll stay right here. I'm normally a mover and a walker. I won't be today. I'm going to stay right here. I just have to make sure I can see what's behind me. For God so loved the world, right? And I, and I, I like this guy. You guys like this guy? This is Tim Tebow. I like this guy, and, and he, I'm going to use him as, a, as an introduction to the, to the main part of the message. Do you know the story of the John 316 I Black for Tim Tebow? Anybody ever heard the story? It's an amazing one. It's one of those things. I mean, everybody knows Tim Tebow, right? He was a, he was a quarterback, and he was a Heisman Trophy winner, and he, he ended up going to play for the Denver Broncos, a couple other places. And... He was, uh, when he was in college, he played with our Urban Meyer down the road, uh, down in Florida. Well, Tebow was, in 2009, he was a senior. He was a senior in high school, and on January 9th, 2009, they were about to go into the championship game, the title game. And Tebow had been wearing, earlier in the season, he had been wearing an eye black. You know, people wore eye blacks, and they would say, hi, mom, or... They wear different things. He had put Philippians 4.13 on his eye black. And nobody knew what it meant. People would say, hey, Phil, what's Phil? What's Phil 4.13? He said, dude, my name's not Phil. My name's Tim. Because people didn't know. And so he got to the point where, and if you know anything about Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer was a really superstitious guy. People get superstitious around their, their football and stuff, their sports. And if something was working, you don't change it. Well, about two days before the championship game, Tebow said he felt God just telling him to change his eye black, to change the verse. And he, he, he said, okay, God, I, I think I know I'm supposed to do that, but then he had to go tell Coach Meyer. 
Coach Meyer was not really happy. He said, oh, Timmy, Timmy, how you doing? Oh, I'm feeling good. Your shoulder good? Yep. Your back good? Yep. Your throwing arm good? Yep. Your head good? Yep. Uh, Coach, I got to tell you something. What's that? He said, I, uh, that, that Philippians 4.13? Oh, I love it, Timmy. You got to wear it forever. He said, Coach, I kind of feel like God's telling me it needs to change. Not two days before the championship, Timmy. Yep, kind of feeling like God tells me it needs to change. So he explains that God had shared with him in his, in his own heart that it needed to be John 3.16 because that's the message people needed to hear. And so he changed his eye black to John 3.16 on July night, two nights before the championship game. And after he played and they won and he won the Heisman Trophy, he goes on, his agent came into, not agent, but his his trainer or somebody came and told him an amazing fact that during the championship game in 2009 94 million people googled John 3:16 94 million people googled John 3:16 and Tebow thought that's nutty who doesn't know John 3:16 Fantastic, right? Because people were reading that God loved them. People were reading that he so loved the world that he gave his only son for them. All because this quarterback had John 3.16 under his eyes. Okay. Well, here's what they would read. They'd go there and they'd read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. Now, if they stopped there, they missed probably the most important point. Because the most important point is in the next verse. Where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever should believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. But then it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The big message was that God sent Jesus to rescue the world. Huh. Let's keep reading. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. He says, this is the verdict. So there must be something if, if we're getting to a point where we have a verdict. We'll come back to that in a minute. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people have loved darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. This is the verdict. 94 million people Googled John 3.16 because either they didn't remember it or they had never heard it or it never clicked for them. But a football player made them at least go look. But if they stopped there, they still may have missed the greater point. The verdict of what he was trying to get to is that light came into the world, but people wanted to remain in darkness, unfortunately. Do we live in a world where that feels like it sometimes? That light is all around people? 
You can tell, you can show people the clearest things ever and they seemingly still don't choose it because we're all that way, don't we? We all have things that somebody's shown us that's crystal clear and we still don't choose it right away. He says, everyone who does, not, who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. This is the real issue. None of us want to be exposed. That's why we all hide. Sometimes that's why the one sheep runs away because maybe there's something that has happened that has caused them to feel like the shepherd won't love them or the shepherd won't accept them and so they run away. See, more people leave the church because they don't feel good enough rather than come because they know they're not good enough. They don't believe that this is a place where they can feel welcome. This is why I said when I walked in the door as a visitor, didn't make it in the door, got greeted in the parking lot on the way outside. Got greeted in the door, got greeted on my way to the restroom, got, read, got greeted while I was shaving, got greeted. I, really, I, you don't even know me. But you greeted me because you recognized that I'm not normally here. You know how many people walk into a church even today, even a church your size, and are never talked to? Or somebody might say, hi, welcome. And they get up and they leave. I'm going to tell you a word of God, fellowship. That's not you. That's not you. You welcomed me. And I felt it. But anyway, people don't come because they don't want to be exposed. They don't want to be seen for who they are. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be plainly, so that they may, may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. The beauty of this is that what he is trying to get to in the context of John 3.16 is that it's okay to live in the light even when you got stuff. That it's okay, it's okay to recognize that you've been bitten by something that's poison. It's okay to realize that you've got something coursing through your veins or something in who you're made up as or what you've done or where you've been. You've got something in you that is toxic, that is poison, that needs to be addressed. It's okay to stand as imperfect people serving a perfect God or who need a perfect God. That's who we are. That's who Israel was. Israel was an imperfect people trying to follow a perfect God. Agreed? The body of Christ are imperfect people following a perfect Savior. Agreed? Agreed. That's the context of John 3.16. That is the context. So let's look at it. Let's look at it in context. Got to make sure I'm right. Yep. This is the story, if you remember, in John 3.16, or in John 3, where this ruler in the synagogue, or this guy in the synagogue, his name was Nicodemus. Nicodemus had come to Jesus by night. Why do you think he came by night? Do you mind if I ask you a question? He didn't want anybody to know. Why wouldn't he want anybody to know? He was a Pharisee. What would that mean? He'd be judged by the other Pharisees because they had already taken a position that he was a problem for them. Not because he was saying something that was wrong, but because he was saying something that was right. He had become a problem for them. 
And the, the rulers, the, the group in that crowd, didn't want, they, they, they had to stand against him because they were about to lose a lot. The Pharisees were the ones and the leaders were the ones who were in charge. They were in charge of people's spiritual growth and spiritual development. And if they are no longer believed because it is exposed that what they've been doing has been not true, not from God, that they've actually been in some ways poisoning the people or keeping the people poisoned, that would be a problem. So Nicodemus wants to learn about Jesus. He wants to come and see Jesus. He wants to come and look at him. He wants to come and talk to him. And so he sneaks there at night and he asks him, you know what, I, I, I just got to ask, nobody can do the things you do except God was with him. Powerful thing. And that's when Jesus starts asking them the question about being born again and that kind of thing. And it builds down to what you see in verse 12, where it says, I have spoken things to you of earthly things, and you still don't believe. He had asked him about being born again. Can a man go into his mother's womb? And then he says, And you do not believe. How then will you believe it when I speak heavenly things to you? No one has ever gone to heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is turning the tables. He's speaking to Nicodemus in a way that he would get this. And then he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Did you know that the golden verse of the Bible is attached to the Israelites being bitten by snakes? That the whole story, the whole for God so loved the world has its start in the fact that Jesus is about to say that he is like a snake on a pole. That's scary. Did you know Jesus was a one of the greatest snakes in the Bible? I'm offending people, aren't I? You know that great snake in the Bible? You know that was Jesus, right? They're afraid. Is this guy nuts? Let me show you what I mean. See, it goes back to... I'll come back where I already went there. Numbers 21 got your Bible, go back to Numbers 21. Numbers 21 tells the story of Israel on their way to the promised land. And they were saying to Moses, Moses, you brought us out here to kill us. Again. Moses, you brought us out here to kill us. And God let snakes start biting people. You remember every day in the wilderness for 40 years, God did what for the Israelites? He kept them alive. He fed them. He must have protected them, right? He had to protect them from things like snakes. He had to protect them from other things that were there. He had to protect them every day for 40 years. And does anybody remember any, any snake example in Egypt? Was there any snakes referenced when they were in Egypt? Anybody remember one? Remember when Moses first got his staff and he went to Pharaoh? And Pharaoh grabbed his, 
You know, God told him to throw your staff on the ground and it became a snake. And then Pharaoh's guys, his little magicians did the same thing. What did that snake, what did Moses' snake do? Ate up all the other ones. And then Moses grabbed the thing by the tail and it became a staff again. Okay? What did that staff represent? What did that snake represent? Eating up all the other ones. Right, okay, so snakes must have had some major, major part in Egyptian life. That's the first thing God did, right? Now, think about this. Egypt, the Israelites are screaming, you, you brought us out of Egypt to kill us. We wish we were back there. Really? And so the very thing, one of the very things that they live their lives afraid of, snakes, and sure. God allowed snakes to start biting the people, and people were dying. People were dying from these venomous snakes. And then God tells Moses, Moses, make a bronze snake and put it on a pole and stick it in the ground. And then everyone who comes and looks at the snake will live. If they don't, they'll die. The answer to the venom of what is in your life was to come and to look to the snake that he said make and put on a pole. For Israelites. Okay? And that's what happened. Some died. And then some came, and they looked at the snake. Jesus refers back to that moment in talking to Nicodemus. And he says, just like when Moses put the snake on a pole, right? So will people, when the Son of Man is lifted up, people will come to him and, be made, and find life. You see the emphasis? You see what Jesus is really trying to get at here? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, you've heard Jesus say things like this. You've heard Jesus say things like, when you see the son of man lifted up, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of my own, but speak just what the father has said to me. When you see the son of man lifted up, he's giving them a reference. Or... And you got to go back and look at who he was talking to in John 8. People who would recognize this. Or in John 12 where he says, the crowd spoke up and said, we've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus is taking their thinking and he's saying, the Son of Man, the representative of God, the one who will bring wholeness, will be lifted up. He's saying he's going to be crucified. But they can't grasp that he's going to be crucified this way. Because what he had just said is, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. John 3.16 is in the context of that snake on a pole. But you see Jesus reflecting the crucifixion and saying, all men and all people who come to look to him, the crucified Lord, will find life. 
Nicodemus picks that up. But do you see the similarity? Of what, I don't know what it actually looked like when Moses put the snake on the pole. But I know people got it. I know people understand that somehow this thing that Moses did actually makes sense. And, and they kind of operate, you know, even Greek mythology and other mythologies kind of use that whole snake on a pole thing. Have you seen these before? I'm driving here today and just a couple exits before on 11 South, I think it's 11. There's a sign, a hospital sign that had that one right there, the symbol of life. And so you have this snake on the pole bringing life. Did those come from Greek mythology? Or did those come from Moses and what God did? This is what God did. But even mankind, every time you see an ambulance, you see this symbol. And people see an ambulance, they see that symbol, and they know that there's potential healing there, right? But they do not make the transition that that symbol is a reflection of Jesus. Guess whose job it is to help them? Yours. Not by saying, hey, let's take a look at this symbol and see this and go back and let's read the Bible. But that's the story that we're telling. That's the hope that we're offering people. That's the thing that we're giving people. That's what God is blessing us to be able to offer people an understanding that there is a different type of healing for the poison that's inside of us. And what it takes is to come and look to him. Because when we look to him, what do we find? Life. Life eternal. Whoever comes to him will have eternal life. Because God didn't send his son into the world to, to kill him. He sent his son into the world to rescue them, to save them, to heal them, to make them whole. Anytime you see the word salvation in Greek, it, it, it's translated throughout the Bible. You'll see that it's sometimes translated salvation, sometimes it's translated healing, sometimes it's translated wholeness, sometimes it's, it's translated uh, saving. Same word, to be made whole, to be healed, to be made complete. We've all been bitten. It says, come and be healed, made whole. Let me go back to Tebow for a minute as I draw to a close. I told you about Tebow's first, you know, he, he did this on January 8th, 2000, January 9th, 2009. Well, three years later, he's in a championship, or he's in a, a playoff game with the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> he had forgotten all about the 316, the John 316, so he forgot all about it, kind of gotten going but he was praying and he was he was kind of working through this thing with God and he was still wearing the John 316 and it was three years to the day they play this championship game and I, with excitement they win the championship game now okay I don't think God made people makes people win or lose but something amazing happened his agent came up to him and said Timmy did, did you see what happened said, today is three years to the day that you put the eye black on with John 3.16. Timmy, you see what happened? 
I said, what? He said, Timmy, I got to tell you, this is, this is amazing. He said, you don't know? No. Today, 90 million people, 90 million more people, Google John 3.16. That's 180 million people, y'all. Only 300 and what, 20 in the country? Or 400 maybe now? But that's not where it stopped. He said, oh, that was neat, man, 90 million people. He said, no, no, Timmy, that's not the whole story. You won't believe this. Timmy, you threw for 316 passing yards today. Timmy, you ran the ball and you averaged 3.16 yards per carry. Timmy, you averaged 31.6 yards per completion. Timmy, it's not over. Your time of possession as a team was 31 minutes and 6 seconds. And Timmy, the, the news just came in. The ratings just came in. The TV ratings. The ratings were 31.6. Timmy, don't you ever take that 3.1 John 3.16 off your face? Now, it might be coincidence, right? Or it might be confirmation for Tim Tebow that leaving that message there was something that was blessing people's lives. And God wanted him as the one. Because, you know, we all know Timmy was going through a really difficult time in the NFL. He's not even in the NFL anymore. He was going through a tough time in the NFL. God discouraged a lot. I read two of his books. Got discouraged a lot. And here Jesus goes after the one and says, Timmy, don't be discouraged. I'm using you. And I'll bless you in this game or out of this game. Because this game is not about you. It's about me. And Tim knows that. So let me ask you this. When people leave your worship service, when they leave your Bible study or your discipleship training or any of your small groups, or when people leave your very presence, what do they understand about John 3.16? Do they understand that because you came to Jesus at a moment you realized you were bitten, at a moment you realized there was something missing in your life and he made you whole, and you keep looking because you know you will not be shaken because he lives. Amen. And you have a good, good father because you see many searching for answers far and wide. And you know, we're all searching for answers that only God can provide because he knows just what you need before you say the word. That's just who he is. Do you share that with people? Because that is no different than snake-bitten people in the wilderness who wanted survival, except the snake bite in our culture today is spiritual, it's emotional, it's mental, it's relational. And they need you 
to help them see that the context of the most memorized verse in the Bible is a snake on a pole which represented your Messiah on a cross. That's how it works. You are a representation of a John 3.16 eye black. Go and be. And watch God bless your life. Bless your church. And bless the ministry he's given you wherever you are. Let's pray. Lord, as we come, please allow us to reflect you, to see you, to be like you, because you live in us. You are the amazing God. You are that good, good father. And just like Nicodemus, who started off sneaking in to see Jesus, and who ended up so bold about it that he went and grabbed his body off the cross and put it in a tomb with Joseph of Arimathea. Thank you for that bold walking in the light. I pray that you'll bless us to walk in the light. The light of who you are, the light of what you're doing in our congregation, the light of what you're doing in our denomination, the light of what you're doing in our own personal lives. Thank you for being the God that you are. Thank you so much for allowing us to represent you or to represent you in a way that the world needs it. We love you and we appreciate you in Jesus' name. Amen.